0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Canada's first COVID vaccinations are set to happen early next week. We are all excited because after all these months of that terrible pandemic, we are now moving towards really what could be the most incredible thing for the province, the start of vaccinations against COVID-19. Disappointment from the premiers after an increase in health transfers is left out of the First Minister's meeting. But we are also encouraged that there was an acknowledgement that the federal government does need to do more when it comes to funding health care, specifically through the Canada Health Transfer. Um, And we were encouraged that and and hopeful that uh, the premiers and the prime minister will be able to again regroup at some point in the new year to discuss this very important topic. And the House of Commons passes a bill to expand access to medical assistance in dying just one week before a court-imposed deadline. It certainly would have been better had this bill been there earlier. There's absolutely no question about that, and, and the Conservatives will have to answer for that. Uh, that being said, there is a week. The Senate has done a pre-study, uh, I know, in committee. They have raised serious and legitimate questions, uh, which uh, I hope they will be able to answer uh, during the debate, and which certainly I will make myself available uh, at any point to answer any questions that they have. It's Friday, December the 11th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea.
1: Good morning, Mark.
0: So the Prime Minister is saying there will be an increase in health care funding to the provinces, but not soon. It's going to come later because of the financial pressure of the pandemic right now. And I know that has left some premiers disappointed, so... Let's talk about some of the outcomes of the First Minister's meeting.
1: Yeah, in fact, I think if you were listening to uh, the press conferences yesterday afternoon, you would have wondered if the premiers were all sitting at the same conference. Um, So at first, uh, I believe the first premier to speak to reporters was Stephen McNeil from Nova Scotia. And he actually painted a picture of rather... An optimistic outcome. He seemed rather encouraged. He repeated several times that the Prime Minister had acknowledged that the federal government needed to do more with regards to federal healthcare transfers. And he talked about more conversations would be coming. And he also mentioned the one, well, he kind of suggested that one of the reasons that um, maybe nothing final had emerged from the meeting was because the premiers themselves couldn't quite agree on uh, a basket of services, that there was disagreement within between the provincial premiers about what that money should be funding. And of course, we know that Quebec never agrees to having conditions tied to the money. And when they signed the last agreement with the federal government about, what year are we in, 2020, about four years ago, um, this was a 10-year agreement with Ottawa, um, the the Quebec agreement letter has no conditions whereas uh, the other provinces have agreed to spend money on mental health for example so um if that was what Premier Mo came out after uh, from Saskatchewan and said that he was also encouraged. He had wonderful words to say about Justin Trudeau, saying that he believed that the Prime Minister was sincere in wanting to work with the provinces to put health care on long-term footing, um, that he truly believed that Justin Trudeau wanted to continue to engage on this. And then Premier Legault came out and said that the premiers were very deeply disappointed uh, by the meeting, that the prime minister had refused to discuss healthcare transfers, that he refused to commit to a meeting at the end of January and early February to talk about this, and that um, because, despite the pandemic, which is the reason that Justin Trudeau had, uh, had used to say that he didn't want to uh, commit to uh, a specific number at this time, um, the premier argued that uh, the needs would continue to be there uh, long after the pandemic and that uh, Ottawa should be funding healthcare and not uh, that the current programs that exist rather than launching new programs uh, that the Prime Minister was interested in. Premier Legault talked about long-term care and pharma care. So it was, Interesting that <laughs> the premiers themselves could quite agree on the tone that they wanted uh, to see emerge from the meeting. And, of course, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister, came out uh, after Mr. Legault's press conference and said basically that Ottawa is committing to increasing federal health care transfers. But he refused to say, um, you know, when the, meeting, the next meeting would be. He refused to commit to timelines, refused to commit to any sort of uh, financial figure. So, I think the suggestion, uh, you know, reading between the lines, Mark, you get the sense that uh, Ottawa will definitely, or I should say the Liberal Party will definitely include a, a boost to healthcare transfers in the next election platform if that uh, election comes sooner rather than later. And mm. if not, you can probably see um, some agreements, some agreement, or at least talks leading to an agreement uh, with the premier is coming, uh, you know, m- maybe not in the coming months, but definitely in the coming years. Um, Another thing that was interesting coming out of this meeting was um, Stephen McNeil talked about the need for the premiers uh, to be united on this. Um, Last time the Liberals got a deal only basically, by carving off the premiers and dealing in bilateral agreements, they couldn't they couldn't get everybody to agree right um, and the Atlantic provinces, I think New Brunswick was the first to fall, if I can use that word. Um, and there obviously seems to be a desire. The premiers believe that they are stronger with a united voice, so that will right. be another interesting thing to see.
0: All right, let's talk about vaccines. Uh, we're going to see some Canadians being vaccinated last week, uh, next week, rather. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the, uh, it, it, I think th- this changes the narrative, obviously, even though it's a relatively small number of vaccines, uh, because Canadians will know that at least some of us are being vaccinated, and it won't be a situation where we're watching other countries vaccinating their citizens while Canada is waiting for its first shipment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the opposition had really been banking on uh, the federal government being late to the table on this. You know, last week we had, in the last weeks, we've had Michelle Rempel, the conservative health critic, suggest that Ottawa would be at the back of the line, people would be vaccinated in 2030. And of course, uh, I think Canada became the third country to approve uh, the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, Yesterday, the FDA, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, approved the, the vaccine, so we were ahead of them. Um, at that premier's meeting, the first part of the meeting actually dealt with uh, the vaccination program. So Major General Danny and the man who's charged with the vaccine delivery program, and Dr. Tam uh, briefed the premiers on the rollout. Ottawa is absorbing the cost of the vaccine, but the premiers will have to uh, absorb the cost of the uh, vaccination program, actually putting needles into people's arms. And what we learned is that the first 30,000 doses are actually expected to leave today, Friday. And um, the Danny Faustay said that they would be arriving as early as Monday. Uh, Ontario announced uh, that, well, actually, they said that more information would be coming today, but they announced that um, healthcare workers in Ottawa and Toronto will begin to be vaccinated on Tuesday. Uh, In Alberta, we learned that as of Wednesday, um, ICU doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists and long-term care workers are expected um, to be vaccinated. About 1,900 people are going to be immunized. In Alberta, it's interesting because, you know, as we know, this vaccine needs to be kept in extremely cold temperatures. So in Alberta, we've been told that um, because of that... Long-term care residents will not be vaccinated at first because the vaccine will have to be um, will have to be given to people who can get to the vaccination centers. But in Quebec, where most of the deaths happened in the spring, almost 4,000 people died in long-term care homes. They're the first group of people that the province there has decided to vaccinate. Um, so it is interesting that some people are, some provinces are making accommodation that other provinces don't seem to be able to get. But the premiers seem to be pretty happy that they got information in Quebec, for example. We learned they're getting 57,000 doses. And um, in March, when the second wave of the vaccine arrives, um, Quebec will be given 6 million doses. So 3 million people will be able to be vaccinated. And, you know, the yeah. population is about 8 million. So it's things are moving along, chugging mm-hmm. along quite impressively.
0: All right. Parliament is wrapping up for the winter break uh, and won't sit again until the end of January. Um, And just before a deadline coming uh, in a week, uh, Parliament uh, has moved on assisted dying legislation. There was a risk that the deadline would not be met. Um, So what's the outcome here? There was a lot of of opposition from the Conservatives and from other places. uh, But let's talk about what the result of all of this is.
1: Well, it has gone... It passed yesterday. Uh, 212 MPs voted in favour, 107 voted against. Some Conservatives voted to support the Liberal bill. A handful of Liberals actually voted against it or they abstained. This is a bill that responds to a Superior Court of Quebec ruling that basically said that that 10-day, well, it basically says that the requirement in the original piece of legislation, that someone's death has to be reasonably foreseeable, um, was unconstitutional. And Ottawa's already gotten two extensions. So they have decided not to ask for another extension, and that the deadline is December 18th. And the Conservatives were threatening to talk out the clock and uh, have that deadline be missed. Because a lot of the um, part mostly those part of the Social Conservative uh, Caucus, um, I believe that this bill opens up the possibility that people who are disabled, um, people who don't have access to palliative care, will feel pressured for financial reasons, uh, for access to health care reasons, um, to use mage as opposed to finding other ways to alleviate their suffering. Um, and that people will be pressured by loved ones even, health care workers, to use mage. And the Conservatives in the Senate uh, believe that uh, more amendments need to be done and that more arguments have to be made. And um, so far they have said that they will not be pressured into passing this bill uh, on the Liberals' timeline. Uh, just, uh, Minister Lamedi, uh the Justice Minister, um, came out yesterday and basically blamed the Conservatives for uh, dragging the puck on this issue. Of course, if the Conservative Senators decide to introduce Amendments and the independent senators agree with them, then the House of Commons will have to be uh, brought back so the bill can be amended and passed. And if they miss that deadline, well, there's a the legal vacuum where residents in Quebec will have greater access to medically assisted dying than those in the rest of the country.
0: All right. Great stuff, Althea. Yeah. We are going to take a break now until the new year. So, all the best to you and your family over the holidays. Thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Oh, you too, Mark. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. All the best for 2021. May it be a lot better than 2020.
0: (laughs) That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast. I'm very concerned. Canada's entanglement with communist China under Justin Trudeau is worse than anyone could have imagined. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Ottawa Citizen, Mehmet Toti and Charles Burton argue Canada must respond to China's human rights abuses. They write, The House of Commons Subcommittee on International Human Rights is urging the federal government to impose Magnitsky Act sanctions on all Chinese government officials culpable for perpetrating human rights abuses. But as the months go by, it becomes increasingly apparent the Canadian government will ignore the findings and recommendations of its own parliamentary subcommittee. It is time Canada stopped standing idly by and showed some legitimacy for our purported commitment to the rules-based international order. In the Toronto Star, Rick Salutin argues, it's not easy being a right-wing conservative premier in COVID times. Salutin writes, the trap they're caught in is that a global pandemic isn't the best circumstance for invoking libertarian individualism and the all-purpose value of the private sector— then, standing aside, active government has its problems, but someone has to do something right now, not just wait for the invisible hand to generate profitable solutions. In the Globe and Mail, Jane Philpot, Kieran Moore, and Ethan Tournishy argue Canada needs to prepare for rare but serious health problems resulting from vaccination. They write... There are many countries that have national no-fault compensation programs for serious reactions to vaccines, but Canada is not one of them. People suffering severe reactions are left to assume the costs of legal fees, lost wages, and uninsured medical services. Canada should take an important step to ensure that all who willingly get immunized against COVID-19 have clear medical and legal pathways to address unintended or unexpected outcomes after immunization. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. With Parliament about to rise for the next six weeks, there's some last-minute concern by business groups in both Canada and the UK that businesses may face tariffs because Canada has not passed an interim trade deal with the UK, which everybody thought was a done deal.
2: Here's Martin Stringer with more. Mark, the interim trade deal between Canada and the UK is meant to tide both countries over until they can negotiate a permanent trade deal to replace Britain's free trade arrangement with Canada as part of the European Union. That existing free trade zone expires on January the 1st. When the Canadian government announced with much fanfare that it had signed a deal, an interim deal with the UK, it was expected that the necessary implementation legislation would be passed by the end of this year. But now business groups in both the UK and Canada, as well as British government sources, are expressing shock and surprise that the Trudeau government hasn't taken the necessary steps, with only hours left in this Parliament sitting, to get the legislation passed. That could be done if they got all-party support to pass the bill at all stages in the few hours left in this sitting of Parliament. But there's no sign that the government has done that. And the result could be that some Canadian exports, including beef, lobster, trucks and autos, plastics and maple syrup, may face tariffs starting on January the 1st. So it's a strange and unexpected snafu which is being placed squarely at the feet of the Trudeau government and specifically Small Business Minister Mary Ing. We will see what transpires in the next few hours. Thanks, Martin. Also today... The Prime Minister will make an announcement
0: and speak with the media, along with Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson, Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna, and Canadian Heritage Minister Stephen Gilbo. Conservative leader Erin O'Toole will speak virtually to members of the Quebec Garrison Club before taking part in a moderated discussion. And Labour Minister Philomena Tassi will take part in a virtual infrastructure event. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, December the 11th. And it's our final edition of the year. We're going to be back in late January when Parliament begins sitting again. Until then, thank you for listening and have a great holiday season.